Hey, hey, are you looking to experience something new? Been fantasizing about surprising your partner with an adventurous new toy or inspiring adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. Oh, but that's not all. Oh, no, no, they, they do even more. Because when you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs. Who knows what you get? Plus a free extra gift so secret that I don't even know what it is. You got to use the promo code, though, SEXNERD. SEXNERD at checkout means that you get the 50% off uh, almost any item. You get three free DVDs. You get a free extra gift. I mean, that's so much. And my favorite thing ever is free shipping. And you get that, too. I know, right? So all you got to do is type in that offer code, SEXNERD at checkout. I was on there just now. And a few weeks ago, I really needed a new garter belt because I was like, I have all these thigh highs. It's, it's a long story. But I was like, oh, these garter belts. Oh, I've, all these garter belts and nothing to wear. And so I spent like hours on your main shopping sites going, ugh, that one's gross. That one's boring. AdamandEve.com has great garter belts. I'm just now looking at this and going, I could have used my own sex nerd promo code and bought them here. The Trio Pearl and Lace Garter Belt I think is super cute if you like black and red. Anyway... That's more than you needed to know about me. But anyway, uh, yes, offer code SEXNERD at checkout. Get that dirty mind of yours to adamneve.com today for this special offer. 50% off one item, like a car card belt. Three free DVDs, a free extra gift, free shipping. Just use offer code SEXNERD at adamneve.com. That's S-E-X-N-E-R-D at adamneve.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Well, welcome to the show. I'm your host, SEXNERD Sandra. Of this podcast, of the same name, but you pressed play, so you probably already know that. Oh, hey, sex nerd. I have a few things to say before we get into this week's episode. This week, you get to hear a behind-the-scenes interview of the Fusion TV special on attraction that I shot. It was a while ago, and I haven't really shared it with you too much. kind of shy about this kind of stuff, but I realized, why not tell you? It's called Search for Sexy. You can look it up on YouTube. All four segments are on there. And I get got to interview researchers, scientists, that know concrete ways to become more attractive to other people. Now, I have been fascinated with the art of attraction for a long, long, long time. And I know that I'm much more nerdy. Like I teach my classes on specifically sexual skills, bedroom skills, once you're in the bedroom. However, I'm just now starting to do something that I've been doing for a while, kind of on the sly with my friends, which is punching up profiles. I am passionate about helping people have better dating profiles. So my friend, and uh, she's a photographer for 13 years, she is buddying up with me. I'm so lucky. So Rachel Porter at rachelporter.com, and I am available three days a week now until probably like May or June to over Skype or in person tune up or punch up your profile. Tune up would be like mm, selecting them for you, curating the order, um, touching them up. I would be making sure that your profile is a, a sensual pleasure to read. I really think that not enough people look at rhythm and just sentence structure and just mm, there's something delicious about some people's profiles and, and 
I don't know. I just, I want to do that to your profile. Will you let me? Will you let me? Anyway, that's profilepunchup.com. I'm really excited about it. And I realize it's related to this week's episode because we get to talk about concrete ways to attract people and not just a personality, like a, it's not a popularity contest. The point of dating online, if you're looking for, for someone to have sex with, to be friends with, to have a relationship with, if you try and write a profile where you're trying to just be popular and everyone likes your profile, you're not going to find the person. It's going to take so much work. Um, I get tons of messages, but unless I write the right profile, I get the wrong kind of messages and it's just really annoying and tiring. But now that I have a much better profile, I am getting really wonderful people who are well matched with me and I don't have to do much because I have rewritten my profile so many times. It's just like, it's just so fun. I find it really fun. So anyway, I want to do it to yours. Will you let me? Okay. So that's a thing. And um, Dr. Frederick, um, this episode is really just wonderful. So I wanted to share it with you. And Fusion TV luckily let me share this episode with uh, this interview with you from my TV special. So check it out. You can check out the whole thing at uh, youtube.com slash sexnerdsandra. That's me. And online classes. I'm talking about the strap-ons this week. Strap-ons for all occasions, pegging, um, vaginal blowjobs, gear selection, ergonomics. Um, this will be a really fun class. 7 p.m. on Wednesday. It's coming up in 24 hours for me from when I'm saying this. Um, UK time and LA time. I'm no longer doing Australia time for the remainder of the first semester because <sighs> you guys... After Daylight Savings Time, it was a 2 a.m. class, and I was not so great last week. The Triggering Orgasms class, I was a mess because it was so, I was so tired. And then I had a hard time teaching the rest of the classes. So I can't, that's, I can't do that for the rest of this semester. But they will be available for you next semester, and we'll figure it out. We're a team. So big heart happiness. Um, and remember, me being agender doesn't mean that I'm, um, they. My pronouns are all the pronouns. I've, people have been asking me that. All the pronouns. You can call me he, she, they, 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 she, whatever. I don't care. Um, and agender doesn't mean that I want to be more like a dude or anything. It just means like no matter how I dress and how I present myself, it's a little weird. I'm always a little awkward around my gender. And now that I know that I'm agender, I feel so much better and I feel freer. So um, don't you worry about me, you guys. Um, Gender stuff is cool, and I have a lot of tunics now. So, yeah. All right. I like you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for um, mm, just spending time with me. Let's nerd out, shall we? Go Team Fun. Welcome to the Sex Nerd Sandra Podcast. Whoa, what are these kids doing in here? Hey, if you're under 18, go ask your mom. Now that we're alone, let's start the show. Feel it. Hello, Dr. David Frederick. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm having a fantastic day. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. It's great to meet you, too. I have a question for you to start off. Can science make you sexier? Science can make you sexier. We understand a lot about the science of sex appeal and some techniques and tricks that you can use to enhance how attractive you are to the sex that you prefer. Has science made you sexier? I think that's obvious. 
Um, in what ways have you found that science can contribute to how someone makes themselves sexier? Well, one thing is clearly is physical attractiveness. So there's some things that we know about what people find attractive all across the world. So one thing that really is consistent across cultures is women prefer men who are more muscular than average. So not necessarily the extreme muscularity, but men who are toned and a bit more muscular than average. Women across the world find them most appealing. So one way that you can enhance your attractiveness to others, hit the gym, work out. And that's sort of one way that really can increase not just how appealing people find you, but also how appealing they find you as a short-term sex partner. Oh, interesting. Is that the only thing guys can do? Guys can do so much. So another thing that we found is that uh, if women are looking for a short-term affair, they actually prefer guys who have high social status, so guys who are really ambitious, who have found uh, a niche in a career that they are really passionate about. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing can attract women, but not just for short-term partnerships, but also for a long-term relationship as well. So not just putting in time at the gym, but putting in time and sort of really focusing on what do I want to attain, what kind of career do I want to pursue. Those are two things that are, are attractive to women. Okay, now I know before we started talking, um, I know there's something called there are values, like there are certain values that people have that are that are sexy, so high status and muscular. Any others? So there are some things that we call consensually valued traits. So these are things that pretty much everyone finds attractive. So intelligence makes a reasonable income, uh, funny, uh, someone who that you can count on, who's kind and understanding. So these are all traits that pretty much everyone values. So we call those consensually valued traits. But people also have their idiosyncratic preferences. So some people are really attracted to tattoos, or some people are really attracted to a sarcastic wit. So I'm not sure, do you have any idiosyncratic preferences? Uh, glasses. Oh. <laughs> I'm out. Not today. Not today. No, beards, um, really sharp uh, wits, I would say. Not necessarily sarcastic, but somebody who's really like, genius-level humor. I'm just like, take me <laughs> home now. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, there's actually a fertility clinic that had, for a while, taken donations only from geniuses. So if uh, you're looking for, uh, some people might call that a stroke of genius as an idea, but oh, they, uh, no. there, there is uh, people in that market as well out there. Okay. All right. So idiosyncratic. So it's not necessarily something you can categorize because each person's going to have their own special little thing. Yeah. So that's cool. It's kind of nice because, um, you know, not everyone can have a certain look or have a certain income or have a certain intelligence, but there's always going to be kind of a niche out there where people have complementary traits that they're looking for that really can kind of fit them as individuals. So is part of it understanding which traits work for the person that you're trying to woo and then playing that up? Yeah. So, um, really looking for people. I mean, that's one nice thing about online dating is you can search out those people who have exactly those kind of traits that you prefer so you can really match up well with someone who has the kind of idiosyncratic traits that you look for. Okay. All right. Now, you actually have worked with a friend recently on updating their dating profile so they could get someone, and it actually worked, right? It did. Um, so the science actually can help people out in real life. 
Like, so what did you do? Was it just poorly written, or was she flagging for the wrong type of person? So I think when you go into online dating, there's a tendency to not know what to write. And so the key is to just kind of think of some playful ways to describe some idiosyncratic things in your life. So something that you're really passionate about, but not just work, but something that you can just spend hours doing. Or some like really funny moment, like you used to splash around in plain fountains as a kid, but you would, would do it naked, and your mom would, would get you in trouble for it. So just sharing some like mildly embarrassing stories while still portraying confidence and passion really attracts a lot of interest on online dating sites. So showing confidence while expressing something embarrassing about yourself? Right. There's a, there's, so some people have this idea that nice guys finish last, and it's not really that nice guys finish last. It's that guys who are confident but also have a, a touch of humility or humbleness as well are, can be really attractive because then they seem like really attractive in the bedroom because they have that confidence and assertiveness, but they also seem attractive as a long-term partner because they have some degree of humility, some kindness, and some understanding. So really finding a way to playfully show off both of those sides can really There's a little really danger help. there. There's a little danger. There's a little intrigue. So one thing that's kind of fun is when people start to fall in love, like you've probably had that feeling of what's called limerence. Um, this is yes. kind of that passionate love feeling where you're like texting the person. You're like, oh, my God, I'm so interested. I'm going to text them. It's been 10 seconds. Why haven't they texted me back? Oh, no, I'm not sure if they're interested. Oh, they just text me back. They love me. Oh, it's been 10 minutes. They haven't texted me yet. So that kind of like intense feeling of uncertainty really generates arousal. So we're sort of wired to feel a more intense reward when we get an unexpected reward. So our dopamine systems in our brain are really programmed to respond really strongly to an unexpected or uncertain reward. And that's one of the reasons that sort of novelty, excitement, uncertainty can really fuel passion early in a relationship. Is that the same as gambling? That same part of the brain? The same part of the brain. Gambling, where you're, you're not sure when that next high is coming. And it works not just for gambling, it works not just for love, but we can do the same things to pigeons. So when you give pigeons an unexpected reward and they don't know when their next reward is coming they'll keep peck 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 pecking for the reward whereas if they're getting consistent rewards and they know exactly when their rewards are going to be coming they're not as consistent and or motivated in their behavior so that uncertainty um, some of that plain hard to get can actually be effective early on if the person already has some level of interest right they need some interest yeah, as long as there's a baseline level of interest that playing a little bit of hard to get creates some of that uncertainty creates some of that arousal which can really sort of fuel uh, connection building quickly but don't you think that playing hard to get can also be manipulative yes <laughs> I mean, and I realize that science doesn't give you uh, space to judge necessarily, but I'm judging. <laughs> well, um, there's sort of, you know, what's effective and what you feel comfortable with, right? Okay. So there, there are other ways that you can find a connection and build intimacy with someone new that doesn't have those kind of manipulations if, if that's not something you're comfortable with. So one way that we can spark a really quick connection in the lab mm -hmm. is you can bring people into a lab and just have them... Sit, sit across from each other and hold hands and stare at each other just for a little bit. And they have to do it for a minute. And so first it's kind of awkward, but then that starts to like, you know, they're sharing in this awkward moment together and it can build some intimacy. And the other thing that can build intimacy really quickly is just kind of sharing three things that are personal or three things that you wouldn't necessarily share to someone else. And if both people do it, it can kind of build that, you know, now we're in this together, we've shared something intimate. So there are ways that science has found other than manipulating your partner into bed that can help build a connection. 
I've definitely heard of the the eye gazing and the skin contact and the um, confessing secret things to a person building that rapport. Um, I'm not against a little manipulation. I mean, for the record, <laughs> I'm not against it. But it's what's the difference between playing hard to get in a fun way versus a way that can be detrimental or negative? I mean, I think part of it is in your intentions. So okay. if you are manipulating because you're trying to sort of get something, then I think that might be a bit of a concern. But if you're sort of understanding that, you know, making yourself completely available um, can immediately can be somewhat of a red flag. So if you're sort of willing to sort of drop everything immediately the first time you've met someone, that that can be viewed um, as, well, why is this person so into me so soon? Is, is there something going on there? And I think part of what Hard to Get does as well is it sort of signals the other person this person has their own interests, they have their own life. It's not just completely revolving around this one particular relationship. That's true. For people who tend to get really fixated immediately, it might be a good reminder to calm down, keep your own life, and that will intrigue them even more. Yeah, so I think that's why, I mean, I'm sure a lot of self-help or self-help books tell people, you know, love yourself before you can love others, but it's really sort of having sort of a set of interests, a set of activities that you really love, a set of friends that can sort of make sure that you don't fall for the wrong person because you're um, not as invested as early um, or atypically early. Okay. All right. Cool. I have a question. You do have a little split on your, if you want to just, yeah, I'm just looking out for you. Is that, Thank you. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's getting warm in here. Sexy talk, you know, I'm sweating. Okay. It's, a, it's a little embarrassing being across from you. So. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, I have a question about manipulation, because this gets into honest versus dishonest cues. Cues? Signals. Signals. So, so honest versus dishonest signaling. Is it bad to give a... Is it... Is it wrong for me to think that if it's a dishonest signal that it's bad, or is that just a natural way of the animal kingdom? So in the animal kingdom, there are lots of honest signals of um, someone's biological qualities. So the peacock's tail is a really famous example. So it's really hard to build that dramatic, beautiful peacock's tail. Only the most robust and healthiest males can build those. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, it's an honest signal of their health, their robustness, their ability to pass on genes that will be beneficial to their offspring. So women kind of check that out and select the males with the most dramatic peacock's tails. Mm-hmm. So they're... Those signals are hard to fake, but with new technologies, we can have dishonest signals. So skin tone or skin blemishes is a pretty clear cue of age or cue of history of disease. And so there are lots of ways that we have cultural inventions where people can cover that up with makeup or with other products to... um, not signal as accurately what their age might be or fertility. Are you judging me right now? Because there's a lot of makeup on this face. <laughs> I don't judge. You're, you're playing the game. I think it's, uh, I think it's perfectly fine. Uh, I have a little makeup on, too. I don't know if the viewers can tell. Here we are. Um, but, you know, women aren't the only one who have these dishonest signals. So one thing about uh, the advent of credit cards is now men can kind of show off social status, show off the ability to engage in conspicuous consumption, buying mm-hmm. lots of expensive products uh, through the use of credit cards. And so there might be, just because someone has a really high-status appear- appearance or high-status clothing or car, doesn't necessarily mean that they truly have resources that they could invest in a partner. So I think there are the people who use all 
all sorts of dishonest signals to, uh, regarding their resources or health. But in the end, you know, that can just help spark an initial attraction. But ultimately, if the two people have shared interests, is going to determine whether they stay together at a longer time. Okay, are there any... Can we pause real quick? Sure. Uh, no, so, and yeah, so... Do you guys know about the... Boob job the, or waist job? Yeah, boob job or Brazilian butt lift. Do you know about the... I think it's in Korea. I wish I could remember exactly, but this guy married his wife and... Oh, yeah, and she oh. Uh, had gotten all this plastic surgery, so mm-hmm. the kids... Were not as cute as he thought they would be, and he ended up <laughs> suing her for manipulation. You know. And he won, right? I don't remember. I feel like he won. It's interesting. It's strange to have such a dishonest <laughs> relationship yeah. about your face. <laughs> yeah, so I think I definitely have an answer to the boob versus okay. waist hip ratio mm-hmm. question. Yeah, that was one thing I moved here to L.A. Uh, you know, where I'm from in rural upstate New York, it's not uh-huh. like boob jobs are a thing. Um, but uh, the two-for-one uh, breast enlargement liposuction special I kept hearing on the radio out here. And I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any other things that people can manipulate um, around their bodies or behavior to attract more people? Well, one thing that can be really effective is sort of having being playful, being energetic. People have actually, <laughs> there you go. I like people, that one. People have actually studied the effectiveness of pickup lines. So there's a couple different types of pickup lines you can use. So the most effective are direct pickup lines, where you go up to someone and you're like, you know, I just noticed you from across the room. I couldn't help but come over to you. I just really wanted to meet you. Hi, my name is. And that's the most effective type of pickup line. We just say, hi, I thought you were really attractive. I thought you were intriguing. Let's talk. I had no idea. I thought that, I mean, who was ballsy enough to actually do that? That's you know, really there's that fear that you get right before you're going to do it. You just kind of have to steal yourself. And it's one of those things where practice makes perfect. It's like going on a first date. The first couple of first dates you go on with people, you're all nervous, you're anxious, but then you kind of feel comfortable in that setting. It's no longer a novel setting. But so uh, direct pickup lines can work, and the other ones that work are innocuous pickup lines. So the pickup lines where uh, you just go up and ask a question like, oh, what do you think about this band? Or what do you think's going on there? What do you think they're talking about? So questions that require an answer, but um, don't necessarily signal automatic sexual interest. So those are the two most effective types of pickup lines. There's another set of pickup lines. So these are the ones you kind of hear people talking about called flippant pickup lines, mm-hmm. like, uh, hey, you've been running in my head all night. You must be tired. Like those kind of like cheesy lines, and those are actually the least effective. So even for really attractive guys, they're less effective than the direct opener. What about negging? Well, so I think negging is just one thing it's doing is it's kind of showing off confidence. And so if you're a guy who's going to do that, you're sort of showing this bravado, showing this confidence. And it's really the confidence, not the negging itself, that is what's attracting people. So. I think just a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of surprise, uh, just having the confidence to go up to someone is, is probably what's most attractive, not the actual nagging itself. Okay. It's amazing. I had no idea. Give it a try next time you're in the bar. Let us know if science is on the right track. And are any of these, if a woman, let's say, used um, high status signaling, like credit cards, like conspicuous consumption. Is that not as effective as when a man does it and trying to attract a woman? Yeah, so men and women 
both value, you know, hard work and ambition and resources and partner, but women value that much more than men do. And so it's going to be more effective strategy for men to do those kind of things than for women. So there's actually, especially in Western societies, this norm that men are supposed to pay on the first date and women are not. And, you know, people's beliefs of that have changed over time, but we did a study and found that 76% of men said they felt guilty accepting um, their person on their date with pain for part of the date. And so even though men and women more value, value equality now than they used to, there's still that kind of inborn feeling of guilt and shame if you take your partner's money. We were talking about manipulation, and I have to ask, this is so silly, but I have to ask it. If a woman were to want to choose a dishonest signal, would it be more effective to get a boob job or a butt job? Uh, research can tell you the answer to that. So I'm not condoning cosmetic surgery. <laughs> okay. But uh, so there's actually a researcher named Steve Playtech who manipulated images of women's buttocks to manipulate their waist-to-hip ratio and found that uh, the lower the waist-to-hip ratio, so the narrower the waist relative to the hips, the more attractive <laughs> that they were found. Uh, so breast enhancement, that's a trickier question because uh, the research on men's preferences for breast size are actually all over the place. So it's not just the case that men systematically prefer larger or medium or smaller breasts. There's quite a diversity among men in their preferences. And if you look at porn stars, they've actually shown that the average cup size for a porn star is a B cup. Oh. And so there, there's much more variation in what men prefer in terms of breast size than in terms of waist-to-hip ratio. So if you are going to be spending money on cosmetic surgery, I would go for the liposuction and things that uh, manipulate waist-to-hip ratio. Okay, yeah, so this isn't even about getting a larger badonk. It's actually just about making your waist look tinier yeah. related to your hips. It's uh, not completely culturally universal, but generally speaking, narrower hips relative to the waist are found more attractive, in part because it might be a cue to fertility, a cue that a woman's more likely to be able to become pregnant, particularly if it's as long as it's within the typical range of female waist-to-hip ratios. So basically, I should just ovulate constantly. What you're saying? Well, that might not be the best strategy because actually one of the reasons that men stick around longer in humans than in other species is because of concealed ovulation in women. So the fact that I don't know if you're fertile or not is going to lead me to stick around longer because if another guy mates with you um, while I'm not around, then he might get you pregnant. So in a species like chimpanzees where they have these really dramatic sexual swellings that really advertise to males that they're fertile, there's a short period where all the males mate with all the females. It's very promiscuous mating system. And so concealed ovulation actually is one thing that encourages men to stick around for longer. Is it really? I feel like there are so many cultures where it's not really that important that a man be the father of a child, like a patriarchy and all that. If putting that aside, it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, so it's relative. So sort of relative to other species, human males invest a lot more. Sorry, the monitor in the back just went out. Uh, yes. We're about to be logged out. There you go. Okay. That was so scary, you guys. That was so scary. <laughs> oh. You were saying relative to other species. So, yeah, so relative to other species, human males are much more investing than, than other males. So if you look across the animal kingdom, only about 4% of mammals are have monogamy or have male investment in offspring that's heavy. It's about 10 to 15% of primates, but a lot of birds. And so when you have really fragile offspring, that's more when you see male investment in, in offspring and in long-term relationships because they're kind of necessary to help survive, especially in harsh environments. So there are some societies where they have like partable paternity, where they believe there's this cultural belief that 
many men can contribute to the development of the offspring. And so mm-hmm. uh, whoever sleeps with the woman is considered to be a potential contributor as a father. But generally speaking, jealousy, sexual jealousy, is something that is alive and well across most of the world. So men, uh, if you can think about men who were sexually jealous in the ancestral past compared to men who weren't, you can imagine which group would reproduce more successfully than the other group. So the group that had some degree of sexual jealousy, some degree of mate guarding, as it's known in the animal literature, are going to reproduce more successfully than men who didn't. I've seen mate guarding at bars and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you put the arm around, you mm-hmm. kind of, if a guy comes close, you kind of make sure that you're sort of directing conversation so it's clear that you're, your partner, you're there with your partner. Yeah. All right. Okay. Interesting. All right. Let's get back to this ovulation idea. All right. Okay. Because I was joking about maybe I should just ovulate all the time, but that's a real thing that when you ovulate, like a woman's body changes, I happen to have ovaries. And so when we ovulate, uh, certain changes occur, like what? So there's some minor changes that occur when you're ovulating. So one thing that occurs is your skin gets a little bit lighter, a little bit clearer. And there are also some olfactory cues. So Kelly Gildersleeve at UCLA, one thing that she's done is she has women wear T-shirts and they can't wash for a couple days. So then she takes the T-shirt and cuts them up and put them in little bottles. And the T-shirts of women when they're ovulating... They smell better to men than T-shirts from the women when they're not ovulating. So there's actually something that in the pheromones, something in the scent that's communicating that the woman is ovulating. You also see some pretty interesting differences in behavior when women are ovulating. So there's a really famous study where they followed lap dancers in strip clubs for two months and had them fill out a daily diary of where they were in their menstrual cycle and how much they earned in tips that Mm -hmm. day. And so when women are ovulating, they made twice as much as other times in their cycle. What? But this was only for women who were not on birth control. So for women on birth control, their amount of tips was pretty stable across time. But for the women who are ovulating, as they neared ovulation, their amount of tips went up. And when they weren't ovulating, it went down. And so we did a study that, uh, just to add a little bit of twist to it, we wanted to see just what women around campus were wearing. So we brought women into the lab when they were ovulating and at a time when they weren't ovulating, took a photo of them, had people rate how attractive they think the women are trying to dress. Mm-hmm. So women were trying to look more attractive. They were showing more skin. They had on lacier things that they were wearing when they were ovulating than when they weren't. So there's kind of these cool shifts in behavior that you can actually detect to think that I'm not in control of my behavior you're from not, day to you, day. You, your free will is not completely free. Some, <sighs> so our hormones are, whether it's testosterone, whether it's estrogen, they're constantly coursing through our bodies and influencing how we respond to different situations. So one thing that's kind of fun to do is you can bring men into a lab and you can have them sit next to each other and compete with, for a date for a woman. And so if you watch the things they do, some men are more aggressive than the other men. So they'll point more at the other male. They'll insult the male more. And when you later take their blood samples or saliva samples and measure their testosterone levels, it's really the guys with higher testosterone levels that are engaging in those much more aggressive mate competition tactics. So these things that obviously no one is consciously knows their testosterone level. No one consciously is thinking, oh, I'm a certain type of guy, so I shouldn't do these certain types of behaviors. But these simmering bubbles of hormones are leaking out and starting to direct some aspects of our behavior. Does testosterone actually help you get dates? 
testosterone can definitely help you seek out mates. So there are some pretty cool findings with testosterone. So one thing that we know is that men who are single have higher testosterone levels than men who are married. Men who have kids have lower testosterone than men who don't have kids. And men who are married, though, if men who are married who have a really high interest in extra pair sex and having an affair, those men have pretty high levels of testosterone. So what testosterone does is it acts as kind of a mate-seeking mechanism. It drives you to reallocate your energy and your efforts towards seeking mates. Um, and when your testosterone level goes down, it directs you more towards parenting and more towards maintenance of long-term bonds. And so just subtle differences in testosterone can start to direct behavior. So while we've been talking about attraction and something that someone can do to catch someone else's eye, when it comes to actually having the courage to step forward and do something about it, for guys, testosterone can actually help them um, find the bravery to, to approach. Particularly in situations where you're competing for a partner. Because what testosterone does is, one, causes you to seek out a mate. And two, if there's competition for that mate, it causes you to be more aggressive and more assertive. So guys who are in high testosterone who find themselves in some sort of love triangle, they're going to be the ones who are going to take the more aggressive steps to try and woo their partner. So how can I, as a guy, get more testosterone? Legally? Well, (laughs) yes. One thing that you can do is you can hit the gym. So the more you work out, the higher your testosterone levels goes. But evolution has weaved in an interesting part of the testosterone system. So that whenever you're exposed to an attractive woman, that will raise men's testosterone levels. So an attractive woman acts as a cue to sort of activate the mate-seeking mechanism, the mating motivations that we have to seek out and try and mate with them. It's like being away from your partner increases your sperm count. Yeah, raising your partner definitely increases your sperm count. And part of that is because of a history of female infidelity. So if you look at the testes size of gorillas, gorillas have really tiny testes because they have no competition with other males for mates. Whereas chimpanzees, because everyone's mating with everyone, they have giant testes. So they're producing a lot of sperm because they're competing with sperm from other males. (laughs) So human testes are, are not quite as big as chimps, but far bigger than gorillas, so which suggests we had some history of uh, competition, sperm competition with other males. And humans have an impressively large penis, which is a uh, relative to other primates, which is another <laughs> indication that they might be competing with other males so that their larger penises can scoop out competitor male sperm. Thank you. You know, see, <laughs> science can take you to some weird places sometimes. Oh, I was feeling like really complimented. Like, yeah, my species is pretty well hung. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, humans love them. Okay. All right. Since I want to get everything in. Yeah. We do have to get to a nice interview. Um, can we, I want to touch on the subject of humor. Why yes. It's so attractive mm-hmm. to a partner. And... Um, and then when we're doing that, I, I want you to re-explain honest versus dishonest signals. Okay. Um, no, your explanation was great. I just like I really like your energy right now. So cool. Just, you know, cool. Like momentum. Ah, humans, humor. Okay, so you know, so I, I am not into this idea that you just need to look hot, therefore girlfriend or boyfriend. Like, I just am not into that. That's a good I, idea to reject because that's not the only thing that we're attracted to. It's just one small piece. Thank you. There's so many other things that we can do, right? So like sense of humor, that's something that I find extremely attractive. 
Um, how does humor play into the mating game? So humor plays a really important role, so especially for men. So when women are looking for a partner, long-term or short-term, sense of humor is something that really attracts them and can really make up for some of these other things that people might be concerned about. And so it's not, but everyone's going to have an idiosyncratic preference for what type of humor they prefer. But one thing that humor can do is also signal whether or not you have shared values and shared cultural history. So the kind of jokes you find funny are going to be different than the, because you love science fiction. Jokes about science fiction might resonate with you more than it will for someone else. So it's a way of keeping people on their toes, a way of attracting people, but also a way of, by the jokes you tell, signaling that you have similar values and interests to the person. Oh, so it's almost like a thermometer just to see if it matches. It's kind of a lock and key model, like whose humor key will fit into whose lock. Oh, I have noticed sometimes when a guy makes me laugh, if I laugh really loud, they look at me like, I, I did it right. I did yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so my, my girlfriend, whenever she's laughing really hard, she does a little snort. And so <laughs> it was amazing when we first started dating because then every time she snorted, I knew the date was going well. Oh, positive snorting. <laughs> and can you follow up, um, can humor signal intelligence? Um, so for me, like, Humor and intelligence are both really important, but is humor necessarily a signal of intelligence? What's the relationship there? So humor can be correlated with intelligence, especially the kind of like quick-witted response to be able to really think quickly on your feet. And so it can show up either intelligence or social skill. And so that's one reason that people find humor attractive, and it can also indicate how much social influence a person has. So if they're able to kind of understand and tell stories well and sort of get lots of people involved, that that can show that they can be the center of attention, that they can draw others' attention and potentially be persuasive. And so people, women especially, tend to be attracted to guys who can kind of capture the attention of the room. What about funny women? Is that allowed? Funny women are definitely allowed. Um, so humor is important to everyone when they're looking for a long-term partner. Uh, it's just that... Humor is more effective strategy for males than for females when they're looking for a partner. So everyone values humor. Everyone values someone that can make them laugh. But on the mating market, it's really men's sense of humor that is uh, particularly valued. What if a man wants to attract another man? Then a lot of the things are pretty similar. So there's a a lot of research on what men uh, who are seeking women find attractive and what men who are seeking men find attractive. And there's a tremendous amount of overlap. So for a long-term partner, people are looking for kindness, looking for understanding, someone they can count on, someone who will make them laugh, good health, um, spontaneity. So a lot of the research shows that what people of same sex versus other sex when they're seeking a partner, they value very similar things. Cool. Science. Can humor get help you get a short term partner? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. And before you start, can you like wipe your upper? Yeah, it's sort of a thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. Welcome to television. I know, right? <laughs> Next time, I'm gonna bring a little ice pack <laughs> and sit on it. Um. Uh. Can humor help you get a short term partner as well as a long term partner? Yeah, so this is where the key is for men, is that sense of humor, if you can kind of make someone laugh, get them excited, put them at ease through your sense of humor, then that can make a guy more attractive as a short-term partner as well. How do you put someone at ease? 
Well, I mean, when someone's laughing, they're not worrying about things, they're not stressing about things, they're just focused on that pleasurable feeling. And then that pleasurable feeling is then being associated with the person telling the joke. And so in psychology, it's operant conditioning. There's some sort of reward every time you interact with that stimulus. And so hopefully for the guy, that will lead to another reward and stimulus later. Can people become funnier? Do you think that someone can develop that skill? Absolutely. So one of my former advisors took a improv comedy class, and I will say she has become increasingly funny over time. <laughs> Aw, anecdotal. I love it. Um, oh, my God. I'm going a little blank right now. Yeah, There's so, so much. I just want you to go over honest versus dishonest signals again. Okay, what do you want differently? Just a different no, energy? No, yeah, I just want another... Take cool. because I think you guys are jiving really well right okay. now. Okay, so I just want to capture that moment. We're cool. jiving. Oh my gosh, <laughs> my heart. Oh, we're jiving. Um, but yeah, could you, uh, yeah, let me know like, what are dishonest versus honest signals? So, in the animal kingdom, uh, honest signals are things that require a tremendous amount of energy or are very costly to build. So, the peacock's tail is the perfect example. Only males who are in really great condition, who are really healthy, really robust, they're the only ones that can produce that dramatic peacock's tail. And so what the females do is they go around and expecting the different peacock's tails, and they'll select the one with the most vibrant, most beautiful one. So that's an example of an honest signal. So humans have developed all sorts of cultural inventions to make dishonest signals. So your face, like how many blemishes you have, how wrinkly your skin is, those are good cues of health and fertility. And so there are things like makeup that uh, have been invented in order to send a dishonest signal about a person's fertility or age. But it's not just women who are using dishonest signals. Men use dishonest signals as well. So women find cues of status and income to be attractive. So one thing that men can do is use credit cards to kind of enhance the appearance of their status. So it's not a real thing that they can provide because those resources ultimately aren't necessarily there, but use of credit cards can be a, allow them to give dishonest signals about their resource and status. Hmm. Do people cluster into different attraction groups like, oh, I like wealth, I like funny, I like this. So you can figure out, like, oh, my crush is a, a humor person. My crush is a Rolex person. Like, no. No? You're going to have to date each person to find out <gasps> if they have the right set of qualities for you. That's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> but a lot of fun, too. Oh, paradox of choice. This is important. Dave. Yes. Paradox of choice. So I need to know a little bit more about dating profiles because, come on, a lot of people are online dating now. And so beside you know, being able to tell embarrassing stories in, within their dating profile, what other things that people can do? to be more successful. So there's this really interesting phenomenon called the paradox of choice. So if you're looking at a whole bunch of cars and you ultimately select one, if you've looked at 20 cars, you're actually going to be less satisfied with the actual car you choose because you're thinking, oh, what about all those other cars I could have had? And there's the same potential problem with online dating. So if you're contacting hundreds of people, you're spamming everyone, well, there's always the potential that once you select a partner, you're going to still be thinking about, well, what could have been that person, that person, that person, or that person. So one strategy that you can use with online dating is just pick four or five people that you're really interested in a time, write a personalized message, not super long, not super short, but kind of medium, and just kind of target the people you're most interested in. So then when you actually select someone that you're interested in, you're more likely to be completely satisfied with that choice. What if no one's biting them? Then you move on to the next five. You know, that's the nice thing is there are always more fish in the sea. It's a big pond. I like humans. 
<laughs> that puts you with the majority of, of the rest of us. That's good to hear. Uh, Dave, can I just have you say like um, the top question? So frame it like repeat the question. So say can 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 science make you sexier? And then answer. Like just say the question and then answer. Looking at camera. So me say, can yeah. science make you sexier? Yeah, like, you're more, like she just asked you that. And you're just repeating the question. Dr. Frederick. So I don't think I understand. Okay. Just, so just repeat the just, question? Yeah, just say, oh, okay. can science make you sexier? Can well, science make you sexier? Answer. Got it? Yes. Okay. Can science make you sexier? Can science make you sexier? Absolutely. There's a lot that we know about how you can enhance how attractive and appealing you are to the other sex. Not just through your appearance, but through the ways that you talk to people, the ways that you interact, and the ways that you start to woo your partner. Hmm. Can I ask him about online photos? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I debate this with my friends a lot. What makes a good online photo for dating? So what makes a great online photo for dating is variety. So having a set of photos that are kind of just with you, showing things that you really like to do. So showing you doing active things. And the other thing that makes photos more attractive online is showing photos with you and your friends. So showing that you have an interactive social life, that you're outgoing, or at least that you work well or communicate well with others. So having a variety of pictures that aren't just of you, but of also what you do and who you hang out with can make a big difference. I don't know why people do this, but there's always the one person who's got that photo with their arm around someone and they blocked out that person. Don't do that. No one wants to think that I might be that person someday. So stick with photos of you, of your friends, and of the things that you do. And have a big variety of those photos. Fantastic. Great. Yeah, we're going to do a little B-roll, something. A little B-roll? Yes, I think just a thank you. and uh... Cool. Dr. Frederick, thank you for sitting with me. This has been fantastic. Oh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. So exciting. And uh, thank you for making the world a better place to date. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 